You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Now we're turning this evening to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and we're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, first of all, and then some verses in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we also who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? And then in 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 23, familiar words, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It took me many years to realize I must have been a very difficult child. I thought I was normal, um, but like half of you who were probably difficult children, uh, normal was difficult for mother. And now looking back, uh, I, as many of you probably do, I wish I had the opportunity to go to my mother and say, at last I understand, and I'm full of admiration for your patience. And one of the ways in which this came out in uh, my family was I would come in from playing football in the streets or cricket in the streets or tennis in the streets, whatever happened to be on the radio at the time, and uh, I would say to my mother, is there anything for supper? And if she said, well, there's bread and jam, I would say, well, no, is there anything special for supper? 
I look back now and I think what extraordinary patience she demonstrated not to cuff me around the ear and uh, put me in my place. And sometimes those memories from childhood come back to you, don't they, in completely different contexts. And that memory often comes back to me in the context of the Lord's Supper. Is there anything for supper? Or even to use my more daring words, is there anything special for supper? I've often wanted to, but never actually had the brass neck to, hand out three-by-five cards to a congregation coming to the Lord's table, and then ask them to sit down at the end of the service and write down the answer to the question printed at the top of the three-by-five card. What happened in church this evening? What happened in church this evening? And I wish I had the courage, because I think I might be surprised by the sheer variety of answers. And I've often thought, I wonder if as, as ministers, teachers, leaders in the church, I wonder if we really give congregations enough instruction about what's for supper. What's in, is there anything good for supper? Because, you know, as you sit at the Lord's table and sometimes you look out uh, on a congregation, large or small, uh, your head isn't empty. Looks empty, but it's not empty. And you sometimes think, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what they're thinking. Indeed, I wonder if perhaps you became a member of the Christian church and came to the Lord's Supper, and actually nobody told you what to think. It, it was, was it just assumed that by some kind of mystical osmosis, you know, just because you were there, we would all be thinking the same thing? So, what I planned to do this evening, past tense, planned, uh, but we've had so many things going on in the service, I'll need to leave some of it to your imagination. I wanted to pick out six words from these two passages that we've read, six words that help us, I suppose at the bargain basement level, to know what to think about when we come to the Lord's Supper and to try and, and flesh out some of the things that Paul is saying here to the Corinthians in a very dysfunctional situation. I mean, our, our services of the Lord's Supper are like rigid orderliness by comparison with what was happening here. You know, they're all coming and, and grabbing the food in the church in Corinth, and Paul has to rebuke them. But as we so often find in Paul's letters, it's in the middle of him addressing something that has gone wrong, that he brings out these marvelous jewels that in this instance help us to prepare for the Lord's Supper, help us to understand the Lord's Supper, and actually help us to enjoy the Lord's Supper. Because it is, at the end of the day, I've sometimes had to remind elders in Presbyterian churches this, 
It is at the end of the day not the Lord's funeral. It is the Lord's Supper. And there is in the Lord's Supper both the sense of solemnity that He had to die on the cross for our sins and the sheer joy of knowing that He is with us and He is giving His gifts to us. Sometimes people say to you, you know, I'd be a Christian without the Lord's Supper. I don't need the Lord's Supper. And of course, the answer to that is, well, why did the omniscient Lord Jesus Christ give you the Lord's Supper if you don't need the Lord's Supper? Sometimes I've had students who have thought that, married students. If they're married students, I say, well, here's an experiment for you. I want you for the next 18 months very occasionally to tell your wife you love her, don't bring her flowers, don't give her chocolate, don't embrace her, certainly don't kiss her, don't even shake her hand, don't even give her a fist pump or a nudge, and I guarantee it won't be very long before she says to you, do you still love me? Why does she ask, do you still love me? You say, well, I, I, I checked my diary, and three months ago I told you I loved you. And she'll say with exasperation, but you, you never kiss me any longer, you never embrace me, you don't give me a fist pump, you don't, you don't bring me flowers. I could break into song here. You don't bring me flowers anymore. Why do these things matter? Because we are not ethereal spirits floating around each other in our relationships with each other. We are physical human beings, and we express ourselves, and we express… I'm using my hands, am not I? We express ourselves in physical ways. And we not only express ourselves in physical ways, we communicate realities through physical signs. We shake hands with each other. You know, what are we doing there? We're we just trying to dry our hands without using the towel. No, we're communicating something to each other. Those of you who, don't, uh, who aren't married, you can shut your ears. What are we doing when we're kissing each other? We're, we're, we're expressing in a non-verbal form and actually communicating to that other person. Don't ask me how it works. You need to speak to a physician to find out how it works. We're communicating the reality that we're expressing. And in a way, the Lord's Supper is just like that. It's not so much a, a sign that points to something that is somewhere else. It's a sign that communicates a love that the Lord Jesus, who is with us, is present. Put it this way, you, you uh, say you came to church tonight and you found a small group of people, a small transporter bus and a small group of about a dozen people down at the bottom of St. Peter's Street standing beside the sign, and you said, can I help you? And they said, we've come to St. Peter's Church, and uh, it's like two minutes to six, and they're standing there with their Bibles. They, they brought their own psalters. You know, who else? You know, what they brought? And they're just, they're just going to stand there at the sign. And you say, well, that's not St. Peter's Church. St. Peter's Church is like 80 yards up the hill. That sign is pointing away from itself. The church isn't there 
It's here, and it's telling you, go there. But there are other signs, aren't there? Like handshakes, like kisses, like embraces. When we actually communicate to each other the reality that is present. And this is, this is, in a sense, one of the keys to understanding everything that Paul teaches about the Lord's Supper, that at the Lord's Supper, we are not saying, it really would be nice if Jesus were here, but at the Lord's Supper, Jesus is actually communicating with us. And so, let me try and just kind of pick out of the hat uh, some of these words and, and leave to your homework, the others. They all end in I-O-N, and I think I'll probably stick with two or three of them. The first is this. Paul says the Lord's Supper is a proclamation. As often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. I remember growing up as a young Christian, somewhere or other, there used to be these kind of discussions, do you need to have a sermon at the Lord's Supper? And people would say, well, it says here, whenever you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's… it says proclaim, there needs to be a sermon. Well, maybe there needs to be a sermon, maybe there doesn't need to be a sermon. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying there's a sermon, there's got to be a sermon, and then you can have the Lord's Supper. He's saying the Lord's Supper is the sermon. And he's saying the whole congregation preaches that sermon. Whenever we break the bread and pour out the wine and take the bread and pass on the wine, we are proclaiming to one another the Lord's death. Uh, those of you who are here this morning remember what we were saying about Christ in the the preaching of the Word, that He comes to us and He speaks to us. And in the same way, in the bread and the wine, He comes to us in these signs of, of what happened to His body, of how His blood was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And what we have here then is a kind of silent, dramatic proclamation of the gospel bread that's broken, wine that's poured out, and we give it to each other. That's very important, actually, in, in our congregation. I believe it's very important in Scripture that we don't come up to the front and receive the bread and the wine from two or three special individuals, but that, that people come Actually, they don't really need to be elders. It's convenient that they're elders because elders know how to do these things. All the elders function in doing is to, is to get the bread and the wine from here to there. And then you give the bread to your neighbor, and your neighbor gives the bread to her neighbor. And although we don't say it, what we are saying is, the body of Christ was broken for you. And with the wine, the blood of Christ was shed for you. And we, we preach the gospel to one another in that proclamation. And so, you know, here is a very simple thing to do as we, as tonight we pass the bread and the wine round to each other. Well, we, we vary in our shyness, but 
we can at least pray, Lord, I'm giving the gospel to my friend, to this person I don't know. This is, this is, the, this is the picture. Just as I use the words body and blood of Christ, and you think of the marvel of what He has done for us. So, without words, these symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ come to us, and we have this privilege of proclaiming the gospel to one another. And if we are in a situation where there are people who aren't Christians, and they come, then they see this, and, and they say to you, what was going on there? That's the strangest thing I've ever seen in all my life. These tiny pieces of bread, these, these little sips of wine. Well, what does that mean? Oh, it means we're proclaiming the gospel to one another, and we were actually wanting to proclaim that gospel to you so that you would come to see that Christ is able to save you, to pardon you, to transform you. And so, the Lord's Supper is, first of all, proclamation. Then, a second word is this. The supper that is proclamation is also communion. That's actually the word that we favor, isn't it? When we speak about this service, we don't call it the Eucharist. We call this communion. What does that mean? What is communion? Well, it's koinonia, isn't it? I mean, that's like one of the three Greek words most Christians know. It's having fellowship with the Lord Jesus. I often think in this connection of uh, a verse that's usually associated, or at least has been associated, with evangelism, Revelation 3, verse 20, a verse that isn't there addressed to non-believers, but it's there addressed to believers, isn't it? When Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And what will I do? Sup with Him, and He with me. So, at the Lord's Supper, think of it this way, at the Lord's Supper, as we give the bread and the wine to one another, in a sense, we are just the hands of the Lord Jesus saying to one another, Jesus gives Himself to you. Remember that long discussion that uh, Jesus has in John chapter 6. Will preached on this uh, some months ago, didn't he? Took us through John chapter 6 and what it meant to, to eat the flesh of Christ and to drink His blood and showed us how all of this began by Jesus saying, you've got to trust in Me. If you're going to know Me, if you're going to have communion with Me, you've got to trust in Me. And here, not only through the preaching of the Word, where we have communion with Christ. We have a kind of dialogue with Christ, don't we? We have counseling from Christ. He, he gets into places that, that nobody else knows about our lives. This is the wonder of His Word. It gets, it gets right down into our lives and shows us things that, that perhaps we didn't even know about ourselves or, or truths about ourselves that we had repressed and hidden. 
and He's having communion with us, and we're, we're silently, we're talking back to Him. Occasionally in a service, I've known people actually to talk back. I mean, suddenly caught up in the depth of the, the strength of the dialogue of the Word of God, actually to speak back out loud and not even realize they're doing it. And so, at the supper, He comes to us, He says, I, I want to be with you. Open your heart to me, and I'm, I'm offering you these, these gifts. Something about a gift, isn't there, you know? I've got to stick your hands in your pockets. Or there's just something about, isn't it, you know, someone, isn't it interesting how someone, someone puts their hand out to shake hands with you? They're kind of almost, doesn't that very action almost kind of draw your hand out? You know, you see some of these photographs that the press likes to show of, you know, the queen shook hands with, you know. There's this deep, deep instinct when someone reaches out to us that, that we're, in a sense, we're kind of forced into a situation where either we deliberately close down and close our hearts and say no, or we say yes. And this is what the Lord's Supper is for. It's to draw us in every time. Notice how Paul says this, every time we do this, there is a proclamation that draws us out to have communion with the Lord Jesus. And then, uh, let me pick just a third word out of the hat. Uh, I'm struggling now to know which of the four words that are remaining should be the word. There's proclamation, uh, there's communion, and there's also consecration, isn't there? Remember how he said to these Corinthians, you, you can't drink this cup and also be going out there and drinking the cup of idols. Now, you know, most of us are not going to, you know, most of us don't belong to societies where they, you know, they, they toast the gods So, what does this mean? Remember how Ezekiel puts it? I mean, Ezekiel knew all about these idols, but the thing that Ezekiel was most concerned about was what he called the idols in the heart. And we have these idols in the heart. Um, and I think, I think we only need to hear that mentioned for it, you know, to, if we do have idols in our heart, you know, they, you know, they, Idols are very sensitive creatures, by the way. Guilt is a terribly sensitive thing, you know. That's why people are so sharp, you know. Little child, what have you been doing? No, no, nothing! You know? No. So, are there idols in our hearts? Paul is saying, dear Corinthians, don't you see that you can't simultaneously give yourself to idols and give yourself to Jesus. And there's a, there's a kind of simple reason for that, which is this. When you give yourself to Jesus, He takes absolutely everything. In that sense, there's, there's no room for any other major commitment except those commitments that are pleasing to the Lord Jesus. And this is why, in a wonderful sense, that coming to the Lord's Supper 
uh, is like a, a constant refreshment of the way in which the gospel of Jesus Christ brings us uh, to Him. I, uh, I've noticed in churches in the United States where I've been, some of them will end every service with an altar call, you know? I remember one occasion preaching in a church which will be nameless, and there was an altar call, and one of the ministers came forward, and I was kind of, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. There aren't any altar calls in the Bible, are there? I mean, not in the New Testament. I mean, these, these people sure needed an altar call, didn't they? They were a bunch. They needed to be called to repentance and a new consecration. So, why did Paul not say, we're going to introduce in the Corinthian church an altar call? Because they already had an altar call in the Lord's Supper. Isn't it amazing how we ignore the things that Jesus gives to us because we prefer our own little neat creations. I've been told, you know, if you'd had an altar call, I'm sure there would have been people who would have been converted that night. And I think to myself, you mean Jesus isn't able to do it without an altar call? But you see here tonight, He's given us, a, he's given us an altar call, a Calvary call, because when the bread passes to you and the wine passes to you, you're not going to have anything else in that hand that takes the bread, and you're not going to be holding anything else in the hands that take the cup. And as you do that, you're being encouraged to say to the Lord Jesus, I'm all yours. Well, if I ever write a book on the Lord's Supper, you write to me with a three-by-five card with those three other words that end in I-O-N, and I'll give you a signed copy. <laughs> but as we come tonight, let's reflect on this. Let's all come thinking that this is the blessing that Christ holds out to us, that the gospel is being proclaimed to us, that we're being called into fellowship with the Lord Jesus, and that we're being called to give ourselves without reservation to Him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're amazed when we read his word, that he has, he seems to have thought of absolutely everything, everything that we need, marvelous gifts that will last for all eternity, and then these little suppers to help us along in the journey. And we pray that tonight we may have the privilege and the joy of fellowship with the Lord Jesus, that we may have a sense that he has invited us to open the door so that He will come in and sup with us, and we can sup with Him. So grant us in these moments, we pray, such fellowship with the Lord Jesus that we will be very conscious that this evening in this place, we've not only been together as one body in Christ, 
sharing in worship, but that we have been with Jesus and come to know Him better. We pray this in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.